You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The U.S. remains officially mum on whether it took down Darkseid, but it still looks as if the ransomware gang absconded on its own. Colonial Pipeline now faces legal fallout from its ransomware incident. Speculation about how states might handle cyber privateering. Conti's attack on HSC is described as catastrophic. Russia says it was hit by foreign cyber mercenaries last year. Craig Williams from Cisco Talos explains Discord abuses. Our guest is John Ford from Mandiant on their M-Trends 2021 report. And CNA pays cyber extortionists $40 million. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 21st, 2021. The U.S. is still officially mum on whether it took down dark side infrastructure, the Hill reports, but it still looks as if the U.S. did not do so. The anonymous officials who talked to the Washington Post earlier this week still have the last word for now. If dark side was clobbered by law enforcement, they didn't come from Washington, Langley, or Fort Meade, say the anonymous. CIO Insight has a distillation of lessons organizations might learn from the Colonial Pipeline incident. Those lessons are organized under eight headings. They include phishing. Many, if not most, ransomware attacks find their way in through phishing attacks, and so a workforce prepared to recognize and defend against this form of social engineering is vital to resilience. Backups. You need to prepare secure, regular offline backups and check them often for signs of compromise. Air gaps. Don't connect what doesn't need to be connected. Don't pay the ransom. This is a tougher call, but in general, it would be better for everyone if the financial incentive for ransomware gangs were driven down. Segmentation. Make it difficult for ransomware to propagate across the enterprise. Zero trust security. Enforce proper validation and authorization. Digital transformation. By all means, modernize, but Don't open fresh attack surfaces when formerly manual systems and operations are automated or brought into the network. And last but not least, patches. Keep systems up to date. Far more attacks use known exploits than they do zero days. CSO Insight also sees crisis as opportunity. Boards and C-suites are likely to be disposed to listen to advice, provide resources, and to be unusually willing to invest in better security. Bloomberg Law reports that a proposed class action suit against Colonial Pipeline has been filed in the U.S. Federal Court for the Northern District of Georgia. 
Such actions have become practically routine for high-profile cyber incidents. The plaintiffs allege, in part, quote, as a result of the defendant's failure to properly secure the Colonial Pipeline's critical infrastructure, leaving it subjected to potential ransomware attacks like the one that took place on May 7, 2021, there have been catastrophic effects for consumers and other end-users of gasoline up and down the East Coast. End quote. MIT Technical Review speculates that Russia's toleration, at the very least, of ransomware operators has at this point gone too far and may force the U.S. toward retaliation against Moscow. Retired U.S. Admiral James Stavridis, a former Supreme Allied Commander Europe, writes that such retaliation might draw lessons from the history of privateering and the suppression of privacy, but that above all it should be a cooperative action with allies. He writes, quote, While there is no hard public evidence that the government of Russia is benefiting financially, multiple sources, including the U.S. Treasury Department, indicate that it is affording protection to hacking organizations that steal from and disrupt the West. If true, the rules appear simple. Don't attack any Russian or Russian-aligned nations, but otherwise the cyber seas are open for hunting. Although it's uncertain if the Kremlin was involved, the ransomware attack on the East Coast pipeline system by Russian-based hackers known as Darkside seems to fit this pattern. End quote. He advises more naming and shaming, sharing of evidence with allies, and where possible, seizure of the cyber privateer's assets. And he thinks retaliation against the Russian state might well be a justifiable step. Quote, Finally, if the U.S. has appropriate evidence to show Russian government collusion with cyber criminals, it needs to respond in kind at the national level. It could, for example, intrude on Russian government systems and alter or erase data in a way that would be proportional, perhaps reducing the Russians' ability to move natural gas to markets. Naturally, some U.S. capabilities should remain unused and in a war reserve mode, but more prosaic tools could certainly be deployed. End quote. If Russian official sources are to be believed— some such retaliation may have already taken place, but it would have been retaliation against earlier Russian operations, not the more recent ransomware or supply chain compromise incidents. TASS is still authorized to declare that in the SVR's view, the U.S. and the U.K. may well have been behind the SolarWinds compromise, but this opinion seems to have few takers, at least in the five eyes. There's a new report, however, this one described by The Record, in which Rostelecom Solar, the cyber unit of telecom company Rostelecom, and the FSB's National Coordination Center for Computer Incidents describe a 2020 campaign against Russian cyberspace that they assess as the work of cyber mercenaries pursuing the interests of a foreign state. The effort is said to have involved social engineering, a protracted reconnaissance phase, and introduction of malware specifically designed to evade detection or blocking by Kaspersky Products. It's possible that there was such a campaign against Russian government targets. Russian sources don't identify the foreign government that may have hired and dispatched the mercenaries, but it could be any number of adversaries or competitors. The charges may also amount to a Tukokwe response to U.S. attribution of the SolarWinds compromise to Russia. The BBC describes the ransomware attack on Ireland's HSE as catastrophic. 
Bleeping Computer reports that the Conti gang has given HSE a free decryptor, but still threatens to sell or publish stolen information if they're not paid. The affected organization is evaluating its decryption options. Finally, the $4 million-plus ransom colonial pipeline paid Darkside seems big enough, but it's practically chicken feed when compared to a payment Bloomberg reports CNA Financial made back in March. The Chicago-based insurance firm, seventh-largest commercial insurer in the U.S., is said to have paid $40 million to the gang that extorted it. Which gang got the money is unclear. The ransomware strain employed was Phoenix Locker, a variant of Hades, and Hades was developed by the Russian criminal threat actor Evil Corp. But CNA says it paid Phoenix. The distinction, if it can be maintained, isn't an idle one. Evil Corp is under U.S. sanction. Phoenix, formally, is not. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. John Ford is Managing Director of Global Government Services and Insider Threat Security Solutions at Mandiant, and prior to that, he enjoyed a distinguished career with the FBI. He joins us with insights from Mandiant's 2021 M-Trends Report, a view from the front lines. Well, let's dig into uh, our main topic of discussion today, which is uh, this most recent uh, Mandiant M-Trends Report. This is the 
2021 report. Um, before we dig in here, I mean, this report has quite a pedigree going back uh, over a decade now. Yes, it does. Um, it is one of the signature reports that we put out each year um, and really starts showing the trends of how, how you know, what types of, of, uh, of activity has really been taken over the years. And also, I think what's more interesting for us, I mean, it talks about the Bauer families, the types of, of malicious activities that are occurring. But what I think is even more interesting is where it shows dwell time is very important to us because it really shows that time of uh, where they're the detection has really been lowering year over year, and we're getting better and better at detecting those um, those incidents. And I'm not talking about just we as Mandiant, but I'm talking about we as in companies and governments. They're getting much better at detecting these much quicker. It's remarkable, this ongoing and I suppose continuing trend of the professionalization of these organizations. As they keep, it seems like year after year, in many ways, they're upping their game. They are up in their game. And it's not just a closed organization as, as most would think. You know, it's not just a group of people in a you know a room somewhere doing this. It's very disparate, and they've actually made their business efficiencies um, as well. So they have groups that only design the ransomware. They have the groups that are only doing the targeting. They have the groups that that only get into the systems and exfil the data. And they have other groups that are managing the data and handling the extortion. And that, from that perspective, yes, they have professionalized that uh, their ability to become very efficient at what they're doing, but also target in a much more precise way uh, to get the most money. Um, these criminals are trying to get the most money that they can, quite frankly. Well, I mean, let's go through some of the other details in the report. What are some of the things that stand out to you? From a malware perspective, what we're discovering um, when we're doing our instant response is that the majority of those have not been seen before, right? So, hmm. you know, that that becomes a very interesting point for us because that's one of the key detectors that most organizations look, right? You know, how can I block known malware, SAM malware that's out there based upon whatever indicators those organizations use. But we're seeing more and more custom malware that's out there that is much harder to detect. And so when we're doing our instant responses, we're seeing that the majority has not been seen before. Um, and so for us, that makes it, you know, we're starting to have to detect based upon behaviors as opposed to detect based upon signature. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, I mean, we, we have to mention that, of course, as everybody knows, 2020 was not your typical year. Thanks to COVID-19, a lot of things shifted around. They did. They did. And one of the things that we first saw um, start moving around, too, was also insider threats. Uh, mm. when, there, when the work from home began um, in 2020 for us and they started seeing more people going home, also people... Um, started reacting to what will the economy be tomorrow, right? And what does this mean? We started seeing layoffs occur. And from when we started seeing those occur as well, then that became a, a challenge for organizations. And one of the, you know, the first series that we started seeing of attacks were when layoffs occur, that there were still backdoors that were left by the employees in the organizations and they were destroying their data that would make the company profitable and destroying their backups. And so that was one of the first things that we started to see. Mm -hmm. 
Did you see any interesting trends or, or movements when it comes to the particular industries that were being targeted here? Have they have they shifted who they're going after? So from an insider perspective, we did see that one of the, the biggest things that started happening was there was a, an accelerated opportunity for research around COVID, right? How can, who could come to market with the COVID vaccine? Right after that is what we saw, saw a shift in where it started becoming much more in an espionage perspective. There were still yeah. many businesses that were going to continue moving forward and their research was key. And we started seeing from an espionage perspective, those that were from outside, there were nation state actors that were starting to recruit and seeing who they could recruit inside of these organizations, either individually or through the Thousand Talents program or other talents programs that are done by the countries to um, identify individuals who could bring that information to them so they could be first to market and essentially try to reduce that development curve right on the research and development side um, and try to have something they could go to market faster with. That's John Ford from Mandiant. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Joining me once again is Craig Williams. He's the director of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Uh, Craig, always great to have you back. Um, uh, over on the Talos blog, uh, you guys uh, posted some interesting research here. It's titled Cheating the Cheater, How Adversaries Are Using Backdoored Video Game Cheat Engines and Modding Tools. What's going on here, Craig? Well, you know, after work, sometimes I like to continue conducting my research by playing video games with people who work <laughs> for me. Um, and other management within Talos, you know, um, Call of Duty is a big one, Rainbow Six Siege, fun games like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So as part of our research, <laughs> uh-huh. right? if, we, if we call it that, can I expense the software? I don't, well, I, don't know I was going to say, that's what you tell your bosses anyway, right? <laughs> oh, they play, you know. But so, you know, seriously though, video games are played by everyone, right? They're played yeah. by people in the security space. They're played by executives in the security space. They're played by just about everyone now. These aren't for teenagers, although teenagers do play, children play. Yeah. So video games have become as ubiquitous as TV 10 or 15 years ago. And I think it's important to realize that when you're talking about video games now, you're talking about like the new form of medium. Like it's as popular as the newspaper when our parents were kids. Right. And so because of that, right, if you can have an advantage in a video game, it makes it a lot more fun to most people, right? Um, or at least <laughs> so a huge I- percentage. So, so are we using the euphemistic uh, word advantage there, Craig? Does that mean uh, what? What advantage is it of which you speak, my friend? I, I, I did air quotes. I promise. <laughs> okay. um, but so what happens here is people will use the allure of cheating to draw people into making poor security choices. Mm. It, it's no different than people who send out, you know, get rich quick scams and similar to, you know, the Nigerian Prince email, it's just a little bit more of an attractive package targeting a little bit of smarter user. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll send out cheats with different, you know, lures saying, hey, favorite video game of the week, if you'd like to 
have an aimbot and never miss again, download this attachment. Or if you would like to have infinite gold, download this attachment. And so obviously for most users, they'll see that right away and think that's not true. But where it gets a little bit more complicated is either users who don't care or what if the tool is real? It's just also been, you know, um, modified to include a piece of malware. Right, right. So what are you seeing here? What are some of the specific cases? Well, in, in the blog we put out on the Talos Intelligence blog, we've got some modding tools with how-to videos and other sorts of social lures, and we've got some cheats. Um, the example we go through in the specific blog is a Visual Basic obfuscated loader. It's really an interesting thing to reverse. We go through all the different steps in the blog post and kind of walk people through how complicated and how obfuscated this is. Hmm. And the reason I mention that is because it's a great example of how complex this scene has become, right? It's no longer little lazy exploits. Now we're mm-hmm. seeing time and effort put into making these evasive and making them more convincing and making them hard to analyze and hard to unpack. And again, you know, the reason they do this is to trick security analysis tools, right? To prevent analysis, to make it more difficult to figure out what the software is actually doing. And so, you know, to that end, in the blog post, we walk folks through the entire sample in painstaking detail. Holger was nice enough to take screenshots of just about every step to show people exactly what these modding tools are doing and how the malware is getting its hooks into their system. So, I mean, other than the obvious lesson that, um, you know, uh, cheaters never win and you shouldn't cheat at games, it's just a bad, <laughs> a bad, you know, you're a bad person if you do that. Uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, the, the security thing is obvious here that, uh, as you say, they're, they're taking advantage of people's desire to get something for nothing and you might end up with more than you bargained for. Well, exactly. And I think there's a massive number of people in the computer security community who got into computer security learning to cheat at video games and learning yeah. to mod video games, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a natural stepping stone to understanding how the games work, how things work, which leads people right into computer security. So it, it's kind of ironic. I think this type of lure is incredibly attractive to people interested in computer security. Um, so it, it's kind of funny, right? It's a lure yeah. that works on a lot of people, but it also probably mm-hmm. attracts the people the actors don't want. <laughs> Well, yeah, but isn't that interesting? Because on the one side, you're right. You, you, I could see there being a comfort level that, you know, this is something I'm familiar with. This feels like home. You know, uh, this is how <laughs> this this takes me back. And so how, uh, because also I think in the old days, a lot of these things were passed around in the days before there was malware. And, you know, people weren't thinking about that kind of thing. They weren't thinking to do that kind of thing. Um, so there may be a false sense of security for for some of the old timers when it comes to that, even if it's subconscious. But then I think your point's a good one that uh, if you're a bad guy, the last group you want to attract are security professionals, right? Well, and I think that's why they went through pretty pretty great lengths to make sure that the code was obfuscated and hard to analyze. Mm-hmm. But I think the other point that's well made here is that, as, as you sort of said at the outset, that there are people from all walks of life playing these games. So it's not like these are just, you know, script kiddies going after kids in their pocket change. Um, there are some pretty big targets out there that make this worth their time. Absolutely. And that's why we wanted to make sure and remind everyone. 
anyone associated with our blog that you should never download sheets or game mods um, gently. You should always give them the proper inspection, make, their, make sure they're from a trusted source, point your security software at it and let them scan it and make sure that they can process the files. You know, it, I wouldn't even run video games, period, on my uh, important systems. You should have a mm-hmm. system for gaming. Well, it's it's a fascinating blog post, and for those of you out there who are you know sort of learning how to do a lot of this stuff, it's a great step by step that really takes you through the process that you and your team went through to, to sort of reverse this and figure out what was going on. So uh, there's 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 lots for there's something for everyone here. So uh, <laughs> I encourage you to check it out. It's over on the Talus Intelligence blog. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's edition of Research Saturday and my conversation with Joe Slowick from Domain Tools. We're discussing COVID 19 phishing with a side of Cobalt Strike. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Music.